Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 1, sorry, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5. And this evening we'll be looking at the spiritual discipline of confession. Often we do not think of confession as a spiritual discipline, but I believe in fact it actually is. And it has been seen so throughout the history of the church. And even within the Roman Catholic Church you see the confessional. And we, they get that, of course, out of God's Word and actually from James chapter 5, I believe, verse 16. But we'll be looking at this spiritual discipline of confession. And we'll be reading verses 5 through 10 of chapter 1 of 1 John. This is the Word of the living God. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the, by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, we ask that as you, we read your word, as we study your word tonight from various passages, that by your spirit you would call us to the sweet discipline of confession. Work in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Lent is a season lived in the light of the cross. In the light of the cross. Lent is a season lived in the light of the cross. In fact, I believe the entire Christian life, every single day of our life, we are to live in the light of the cross. Now, you might say, but it was dark those last three hours at the cross. A dark and gloomy place as the Son of Man, tormented by the wrath that was deserved us, was poured out on Him. And yet, it is light, isn't it? Because that's the heart of Christianity. It's where the truth shines brightest at the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that cross clearly reveals God's justice and love. We've spoken about that again and again. It God's justice because the cross declares all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It exposes our sin for its severity before a holy and righteous God. As John says very clearly, he says, we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, perfectly all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. And that reveals our sin. But of course the cross reveals the nature of God's love, greater than all our sin, as we sing. 
of all our sin. But as we come to the Apostle John and his teaching to the church of Jesus Christ, here in the first chapter of this wondrous epistle, we see through the pen of John that sin thrives, it thrives alone. Look at the repetition in verse 6 and verse 8 and verse 10, if we claim, if we claim, if we claim. That is fascinating. There's a structure in this small portion of Scripture. And in, every, in all three parts, it's a denial of our sinfulness or how sinful we are. And John is trying to argue, oh, no, no, no. That's a man or that's a woman who is living in the darkness where sin thrives alone. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the martyr, German martyr under Nazi oppression in his book Life Together said, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. Wisely said, sin keeps us in the darkness. It isolates, doesn't it? We don't want to expose it, do it, because we're worried about what people might think. We often hide our sin. And Dietrich is saying that's where it festers. That's where it begins the infection to the rest of our soul. And the more isolated we become, the more powerful sin becomes over our souls. And John is saying, don't live like that. That's a slave. That's not a free man. A free man knows he's a sinner. A free man knows that nothing can save but the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And it's only in the light of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ can a man or a woman thrive. Instead of sin thriving, God wants you to thrive. You to be built up. You to be more glorious and beautiful than you were before. Because when we put sin out into the light of God's truth, it withers, doesn't it? Sin withers in the light. And John makes this argument in two parts. You see this fellowship, this idea of koinonia. Both koinonia with God and koinonia with the church. And it does appear that if we say that we're in the light but live in the darkness, we have no fellowship with the living God, do we? We have no fellowship with Him. It's just lip service. So what is very clear, if we're going to have fellowship with the living God, we must come into the light of His truth. We must have our sins exposed. We must let that light expose the sin in order that, well, in seeing our sin, we might repent and turn to Christ. The light of the cross with joy. But also, 
You see this in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, in the truth, in the Lord Jesus Christ, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, koinonia, with one another. Ah, it appears that confession coming into the light with our sin before the light of God's truth actually builds up the body of Christ. It increases greater community. It's when we're silent about sin. It's when the church is not healthy. It's when our bones do ache and they rot. The bones of our souls. You see, he wants the brothers and sisters to come into the light in order that there will be even more intimate fellowship and community. But when you hide that sin, it just isolates you from others. It just hurts your marriages and your relationships and the relationships right here in the church. No, bring it into the light of Christ. Bring it into the light of the lover of your soul. Hmm. In the light of the truth of, the, of his word, our sin is exposed and the redeemed confess their sins. His greater glorious light of his forgiveness and righteousness upon us. So confession is sweet to the sinner. It's something we need. That's why we have confession, right? Every Sunday, the reading of the law or some other portion of scripture. Because God is always trying to bring us into his light so that sin would wither and not us. Rather, that we would thrive. Because as sin is exposed, the grace of God is made more glorious. Now, this understanding of confession, I think you have to go back into the whole of God's story to see the bigger picture. And you go all the way back. I'm not going to the garden, but rather to something called the sin offering in Leviticus chapter 5. The sin offering. And Leviticus declares through the pen of Moses, when anyone is guilty in any of these ways, he must confess in what way he has sinned. And as a penalty for the sin he has committed, he must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for his sin. Bring it into the light. Oh, you're struggling with sin law says, why don't you come to the temple with your sacrifices, speak to the priest about your sin, to bring it into the light. We see this from the very beginning of God's people and the institution of the law on Mount Sinai. And what you see at the very end of these verses in verse 10, the priest shall then offer the other as a burnt offering in the prescribed way and make atonement for him for the sin he has committed and he will be for given. Oh, it does appear that in the old covenant, God wanted to expose the people's sin. He, in fact, wanted them to come to temple and talk to a priest about how they had sinned and have a sacrifice for that sin. That's exposing it, isn't it? That's putting it into the light. How consistent and constant this was in application in Israel is very doubtful that it even happened regularly. You can see here, this is an Old Testament confessional. You'd almost think they're Roman Catholics. 
Because this is what this is. This is, a, this is an old covenant confessional. But what do you see in the sacrifice? What do you see in the sacrifice as you bring your sacrifice to God? You see the severity of sin, don't you? The saint sees the severity of their sin because actually even in this text, you have to break the neck of the bird. So you're part of the sacrificing, of the bloodletting. Your hands are upon this offering, not just the Levitical priests. That's quite the illustration, isn't it? Of the severity of sin, but the sufficiency of the sacrifice given for sin. Well, it's sufficient to do what? To forgive you of your sin. I believe that that could be clearly proclaimed because the Old Testament anticipates the coming of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at Calvary. And only in the cross do we see the severity of sin, don't we? You, the severity of sin? You want to see how horrible my sin is? Go to the cross! John is no longer a good guy. He's really pretty pathetic. He deserves damnation. The cross doesn't say, oh, he's a swell guy. He's the best. I really like that guy. It doesn't say that. It says, I have sinned against the glory of God, that I'm a rebel, that I am one that ought to be condemned, but only in the cross of Christ. Do we see the sufficiency of a sacrifice that actually forgives sin? So in confession... Not only do we see the severity of sin and thus continue to inoculate ourselves against sinning, but we see the wondrous beauty of Christ and Him crucified. We have the cross before us. But is it, is it truly sufficient for you? Do you believe that He's really died for all your sins with His precious blood? Do you believe that? Does it excite your heart? Does it bring joy? Because, oh, brothers and sisters, I believe confession, confession brings joy. This is not where you're flagellating, you're hitting yourself. No, this is when you come into the light and you see the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice far greater than all your sins. Far greater. And again, Israel saw this also in the Day of Atonement when the scapegoat, right? The high priest would pray over the scapegoat and send the scapegoat out into the wilderness. Because how far has he removed your sin from you? How far? As far as the east is from the west. Ah, oh, we know that, don't we? Because it's sweet to our souls, isn't it? It's sweet. It's wondrously precious. But we know that because we know the severity of our sin. If I'm not a sinner, the cross of Christ is meaningless. If my sin is not great, Christ's cross is that is small. But my sin must be great. So that I can taste and see how really good God is. And confession is a discipline that helps that. It helps you see how good God is. How gracious God is. How loving God is. To a sinner like you to a sinner like me. And I am reminded in confession, in the great glorious picture of the Old Testament, God prophesied through Moses that the people of Israel would not be faithful, that they would 
rebel against him completely, that they would reject him for other gods. And when they were far away in the far country, whether that's in the Assyrian Empire, somewhere flung far away to the farthest reaches of the earth, or whether they were in the heart of Babylon, when they would confess their sin, he would bring them where? He'd bring them back. Because they come into the light. And in the light they find their, their reason for existence. In the light of God's truth, they find who they are. And that's why Nehemiah prayed this prayer so long ago. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. Your servant is praying before you day and night for your servant and the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. You see how he's praying? He's speaking, he knows what Moses had said before in his law, but also when you turn in chapter 30, verses 1 through 3 saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, he's quoting Moses here, then even if you, your exiled people are at the farthest horizons, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And when Nehemiah heard that the temple was still in ruins and the walls of the city were still, did not exist, he went to the king of Persia knowing that he could lose his life after this prayer because he wanted to see God's people restored. So he confessed not only for his own sins, but the sins of Israel and the sins of his family. It's really a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer that you could actually pick up tonight. These biblical prayers, Daniel does it in Daniel chapter 9. And David, of course. David, of course. And confession, what the, it brings us to the brook of blessedness. Uh, we read that earlier, Psalm 32, didn't we? Verses 1 through 5. How blessed it is to be, have your transgressions forgiven, or that your iniquities are remembered no more. And it's when he confessed his sin that he experienced this blessed release from the agony that he had within. Was that not the Holy Spirit convicting him of sin? Working in him. Remember what he says later in one of his Psalms 51? Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. There's a, song, there's a prayer by a saint named Ambrose. I, it's a beautiful prayer. But I think it shows clearly when we're praying a prayer of confession, it's one of blessedness and hunger. Ambrose writes, O Lord, you have mercy upon all. Take away from me my sins and mercifully kindle in me the fire of your Holy Spirit. The fire of your Holy Spirit. Take away from me the heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh, a heart to love and adore you, a heart to delight in you and to follow and enjoy you for Christ's sake. Amen. 
That's an expression of hunger, isn't it? A hunger for what? Confession, in confession, there should be a hunger for holiness. Because you're turning, aren't you? You're, you're turning from your sin and you're turning towards Christ. Just like David does in Psalm 51. It says, create in me a clean heart. Was his heart clean after the murder of Uriah and his adulterous rela relationship with Bathsheba? Most of us would throw him under the bus, wouldn't we? Oh, yes, we would. Oh, he was a guilty man. And yet he cries out. In this confession, in Psalm 51, created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I, I want to be steadfast. I want to be faithful. I, I want to be holy. So do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Do you see his zeal? I won't stop there. I, will, I want to teach the, I want to treat the tribes. I want to teach Israel holiness, steadfastness. <sighs> Save me from blood guilt, O oh God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Confession expresses a hunger for holiness in brokenness, doesn't it? Jesus even said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who hunger and root for righteousness, for they will be filled. Maybe you've never looked at confession that way, a hunger for holiness. But it does make sense, doesn't it, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin through his word, that you would be hungering for holiness. Because who has informed you of your corruption? The Holy Spirit, the sanctifier of your souls. Of course you would seek to be holy. And this confession, this discipline of confession is not only a privately shared discipline. What we find in James chapter 5 verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Interesting. Because we, I think often we think of confession as private, don't we? But what kind of health and healing would it be for you if you had a friend that you could share not only your cares and concerns with, but one of your greatest cares and concerns should be your own sin against God, against others. And to have someone you could share that with, really share it with. And that would not condemn you, but rather would pray for you. And they would share with you and you would pray for them. Do you see the accountability already? Do you see the blessedness of that? Now, of course, it would be, have to be someone very trusted. I, I understand that. But you see the goodness of it, don't you? But that's hard to do because then we have to come into the light. And actually, it's not only God that sees it, it's someone else. Off the time, who do you fear more, God or man? Who do you fear more, God or man? 
if we're honest, unfortunately, it's man. And that too is a grave sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, again, I'm stealing from him, says these words, as long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought to the light. Mutual brotherly confession is given to us by God in order that we may be sure of divine forgiveness. Did you hear that? In order that we might be assured of a divine forgiveness. Because if you were to confess your sin to someone and they love you, what would they remind you of? Christ died for that sin. He was crucified for that. Let's pray for you. Let's pray for you. That would grow you in assurance, wouldn't you? It would grow you in relationship with that person. So you see, this confession, unfortunately, is not applied as it ought to be. Maybe we ought to be praying this week for someone, someone we trust, that we can share not only our struggles and disappointments, but actually our sin. Someone who will love us and speak the word of God and bring the light of Christ to our sin and our struggle with sin. And maybe that's why it's, we struggle so much with besetting sin. It's we don't bring it into the, into the light. It just festers and festers. We confess it, but we don't bring it to a brother or to a sister. God has given us the body, hasn't he? Practically to minister to us the gospel. And so my prayer is this, O Holy Spirit, renew me, renew us in the practice of confession. Let's pray, O Father in heaven. We are thankful that you forgive sinners like us and that confession is a way of coming into the light to expose that which would only fester in the darkness and bring destruction, but instead we come into the light and you bring life. Yes, correction. Yes, rebuke. But for our good, because you are a good father, so patient and kind. We see that in Christ and him crucified and resurrected and ascended, interceding, and one day will come again. Bless your people to find a godly friend who they may share the struggles of the Christian life with, the struggle with sin. And in that relationship, men and women would be built up into greater godliness for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.